You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is silencing Protestantism. It's great to be with you again, my radio friends. Thank you for joining me. In the introduction to the program each week, I've said something which I hope you haven't missed. It is as important as anything else that is is said. It is, God loves you. That's the best thing ever. Because it doesn't matter how hopeless you may feel about yourself, the truth is, God loves you. He wants you to understand that he wants your companionship. He wants you to be free of guilt and sin. He wants you to have a purpose-filled life. He wants you to experience peace, and he wants you to experience joy in him both now and in the future. Probably some of you are a bit afraid to commit your life to God. You could be afraid because you might have to give something up. But let me urge you to go for God. You won't regret it. Today, I want to share with you how another interpretation came about to explain about who the little horn mentioned in Daniel 7 was. And it all came about because of the rapid growth of Protestantism, especially in the 1500s. If you know anything about history you will realise that the growth of Protestantism was one of the most significant movements in human history. And it came about because of a widespread dissatisfaction with Catholicism. The Catholic religious system was dominant right across Europe for almost a thousand years. During that time, the common believers were only taught what the Catholic Church wanted them to know. Very little of what the people were taught was from the Bible. Amongst those who taught from the Bible were such people as Wycliffe, the Lollards in England, Huss, Arnold, Savonarola, Melanchthon, John Knox, Wesel, Goch, Agricola, Ruchlin, Erasmus, the Waldenses, Calvin, Luther and other reformers. The climax came when Martin Luther a Roman Catholic priest who had access to the Bible, realised that what the Bible taught and what the church taught were totally different things. So Luther sat down and wrote out on a large parchment all the things he regarded that the Catholic Church was teaching and doing wrongly. Uppermost in his mind was a Bible verse that kept ringing in his ears, the just shall live 
by faith. So Luther, on October 21, 1517, nailed this list of things known as his 95 Theses to the door of his church at Wittenberg, Germany. It was a public statement, and what Luther had done was reported to the Pope. Luther was in trouble. But Luther had expressed in writing what many people of the day were thinking. Luther was called to a meeting of many Catholic officials. They wanted him to recant, that is, to back down on what he had said. But Luther would not back down. He believed what the Bible taught and based his beliefs and faith on the Word of God rather than tradition. Luther started what many historians describe as the Reformation, reforming the church, reforming what people would believe, and reforming the church and the basis of belief. It was an exciting time, but for many it was a hazardous time of Earth's history. Hundreds of thousands of people in Europe left the Roman Catholic Church, and the Catholic leaders and the Pope were very upset. But what were Luther and the other reformers teaching? There were two main teachings. They were, number one, people are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And number two, Papal Rome, that is the Roman Catholic system, was the Antichrist, the little horn power mentioned in Daniel 7. No wonder the Pope and the Roman Catholic leadership was upset. Here they were being attacked as an evil power, while at the same time a large portion of their followers left the church to become Protestants. So, to quell the uprising of Protestantism, the Roman Catholic Church instituted wars, tortures, beatings, burnings, intimidations, and, of course, the dreaded Inquisition. Yet, like flies in the Australian summer, the more Protestants they got rid of, the more they seemed to be. Something else must be done. Something subtle. It was necessary, if Catholicism should survive, to go on the attack in a completely different way. Something that would attack Protestantism from the inside was needed. It needed something like a cancer or a computer virus to stop the growth of Protestantism. So, in 1534, the Roman Catholic Church formed a secret order, a counter-revolutionary force called the Society of Jesus, which we would know as the Jesuits. Their commission was to, by any means possible, to destroy Protestants and Protestantism. It should be noted that the Jesuits have a dark history of intrigue and sedition. There is a sinister side to their otherwise apparently innocent front. In 1545, the Council of Trent was convened. The Jesuits were asked to come up with some theology which would counter the Protestant teaching that the Pope was the Antichrist. Something was needed to take the heat off the Roman Catholic Church. 
This council meeting is said to be the longest council meeting in history, as it lasted 16 years. Before going on, I want to remind you of what the Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Here it is. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will discreetly introduce destructive heresies, that is, false teachings. Many will follow their shameful ways and bring the truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. What happened, in my opinion, was the introductory introduction of a heresy, that is, a false teaching. Anyhow, at the Council of Trent, many ideas were suggested and rejected until Francisco Ribera, a Spanish priest, came up with a winning idea. Just remember, they were not looking to find out the truth of what the Bible said. They were trying to come up with something subtle, something that would seem reasonably plausible, in order to shift the focus away from identifying the Roman Catholic Church, or at least the Pope, as the Antichrist, the little horn power. Ribera proposed to shift the 70th week of the 490-year prophecy into the future. This is commonly now known as the gap theory. By doing this, these would be the implications. The Antichrist would be an individual rather than an organisation. The Antichrist would rise up at the end of time. Third point, the Antichrist would be received by the Jews. And fourthly, the Antichrist would be involved in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. The Pope heartily agreed with this theological shift, as it would push all the responsibility and blame of being the Antichrist, the little horn power, into the future thus casting doubt on the Protestant claims that the papacy was indeed the Antichrist, the little horn power. But how come so many Protestants today have fallen for and embraced this cunning teaching known as futurism? Before I answer that question, let us consider what the Apostle John had to say about these teachings. First John Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Not only are these false prophets very convincing, but there are lots and lots of them. There is no doubt that many Roman Catholic beliefs and practices have nothing to do with the Bible. They are simply tradition, or, if you like, false, non-biblical teachings. A significant Roman Catholic author, Cardinal Newman, wrote a book called Development of the Christian Religion. On page 359 he says, The majority of beliefs and practices of the Roman Catholic Church 
are of pagan origin and not based on the scriptures. Now, good Roman Catholics believe that the majestica, the traditions of the church, are considered as having higher authority than the Bible. Do you remember what the Apostle Apostle Peter said about bringing in heresies into the church? He said they would unfortunately happen. Now, here's a list of some of the things which the Roman Catholic Church holds sacred, although they are not supported by, and in some cases are in total opposition to the Bible. I think there's about 11 or 12 that I've listed. listed. The doctrine of purgatory. Nothing to say about purgatory in the Bible. The day of worship to be on the first day of the week. The Bible doesn't say that. That you can pray to saints or the Virgin Mary. Or worshipping images and relics. Holy water canonization of dead saints, celibacy of the priesthood and nuns, the rosary, sale of indulgences, the doctrine of substantiation, confession of sins to a human priest, tradition classed as an infallible authority, the infallibility of the popes, and the assumption, or that is the translation to heaven, of Mary.
That was from the English Chorale singing These Bones. Well, just before the break, I was listing for you some of the things which is commonly held by the Roman Catholic Church and taught by the Church, which has really nothing to do with the Bible. Now, back to that question... How come many Protestants have fallen for and embraced this cunning teaching, Futurism, proposed by Ribera? For about 300 years following the 1560s, the Protestants would have nothing to do with Futurism. Then, in England, at about 1820, Dr Samuel Maitland, who was a librarian to the Archbishop of Canterbury, came across a Jesuit publication about futurism. <clears throat> he read it and then decided to write a book in favour of it and attack Protestantism. I find it somewhat weird that a Protestant should attack Protestantism. Nevertheless, the book was published and was widely read. <clears throat> the views of quite a number of English Protestants were changed by this book and some of the English clergy who read it turned away from Protestantism and became Roman Catholics. The Jesuit plan was working. Then came Edward Irving, a Scottish Presbyterian minister who was the forerunner of the Pentecostal and Charismatic movement. He began to teach a two-phase return of Jesus Christ. Phase 1 was supposed to be a secret rapture, and Phase 2, events to do with the Antichrist and eventual physical return of Jesus. <clears throat> in 1909, in America, John Ingerson Schofield published the Schofield Reference Bible, which contained notes and references which reflected Schofield's personal beliefs. He had by this time also accepted the Jesuit interpretation of the Antichrist, the Little Horn, and the Gap Theory. Millions of copies of this Bible were sold and were used widely in Protestant schools and colleges, thus spreading the teaching. At this point of time, the Jesuits must have been secretly clapping their hands. The poison theology they had cooked up in the 1500s to bring down the Protestants was being swallowed hook, line and sinker by large numbers of Protestants. The protest against Catholicism, which originally was so powerful, was becoming more and more feeble. But there was worse to come. Then, in the late 1970s, came the blockbuster book written by Hal Lindsey, The Late Great Planet Earth. It, too, featured futurism, and about 30 million copies were sold. Hot on the heels in the early 90s of this book were the Left Behind series of novels. Since then, there have been films, which have been very popular, promoting the Jesuit doctrine and espousing a secret rapture. By now, many Protestant churches have picked up 
on the Jesuit Futurist Diversion and are teaching it as mainstream theology. It is quite a conundrum that Protestants are teaching what originated as a Jesuit proposal in order to silence the Protestant protest and to quell the mass exodus of people from the Roman Catholic Church. The strategy, proposed back in the early 1950s, worked. It was a cunning and masterly plan and has been responsible for sweeping millions of Protestants into error. Jesus warned, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive the very elect, if that were possible. And you can find that in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24. To my way of thinking, a false prophet is anyone who puts a twist on what is otherwise plain scripture to promote their own ideas or to promote some sinister plan to mislead others. Let's remind ourselves of Ribera's cunning ideas. He said that the people must be led to think that the Antichrist is an individual, a single person. They must be led to believe that the Antichrist would appear at the end of time. The people must be led to believe that the Antichrist would be received by the Jews and that the Antichrist would be involved in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. It is commonly believed by many Protestant congregations today that just prior to the end of time and, the, and at the beginning of the last week, that is seven years of Daniel's prophecy, that there will be a secret rapture, where the so-called saints secretly rise up to heaven. Straight after that, a powerful individual arises and makes a deal with the Jews to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Three and a half years later, the Jews and this individual fall out of favour with each other, and the powerful individual begins to persecute the Jews. At that time, he is given the title of Antichrist. The persecution of the Jews is supposed to last for three and a half more years, but then Christ comes back to earth in person. As a result of the brightness of his coming, all the Jews are converted to Christianity. Now I'm aware that there are some variations of this belief system. If you ask me whether I believe what I've just described, the answer is no. I do not hold with the futuristic interpretation that the Jesuits cooked up to take the heat off the Roman Catholic Church and which has since been swallowed by many Protestant churches. I believe that the Reformers were right. Before finishing today, I want to share a true story to illustrate what has happened with Daniel's prophecies about the seven weeks, the little horn power, and about the Antichrist. <clears throat> when I was a child, about nine or ten years of age, my family lived in a small country village in South Australia. The nearest neighbours lived about 150 metres away from our home. 
There was no mains electricity supply to homes at that time, <clears throat> and those who had refrigerators had fridges that ran on kerosene, a petroleum product a bit like petrol. At the bottom of the fridge was a kerosene tank, and it had a wick which burned continually. The flame from the wick caused some sort of heat transfer and was effective in making the fridge work. Our neighbours used to keep some kerosene in a Woodroof's lemonade bottle in order to have kerosene handy to top up the fridge tank when needed. One day their son John, who was probably about four or five at the time, saw the lemonade bottle left on the floor, so he decided to have a drink of lemonade. Back then, kerosene was not coloured blue like it is today. It was clear like water, or lemonade for that matter. Instead of tasting some lemonade first, or taking a sniff to see what was in the bottle, John loosened the lid and took a mighty swig of what he thought was delicious lemonade. <laughs> lemonade. He was rushed to the hospital over 30 kilometres away and his life was just saved. He was very fortunate not to have died. I see this story as an illustration of this futurism doctrine as proposed by Ribera and since promoted by various Protestant churches. It looks like truth. It is presented as truth. It comes packaged as truth. But in the end, it's an insidious poison and leads people away from the source of truth, the Bible. We must be very careful not to be swayed into thinking something is true and correct, even if there's some dynamic and persuasive speaker who presents it to us. Before adopting ideas and doctrines, we need to check with what the Bible actually says and not go along with what someone says it says. Before eating a strange new food... Do you take a big bite and treat it like you would something you were used to? Of course not. You take a little bit first, taste it, and then decide whether you should ingest it. Do the same with ideas, and especially doctrines. In 1 John 4.1 it says, and I read this before, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, my time is up. This program was something of a history lesson, but there were probably many things you were unaware of previously. I hope you can, I hope you can join me next week. Until then, I wish you God's blessings and peace and joy.